about the safest place in the universe. The safest place in the universe. Everybody who has ever lived has lived or is living in one of three places. Okay, The first place is the place that we're all born into. We are all born into a place of innocence. Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were in a place of innocence. And when we were born, every one of us was in innocence. No matter what your nationality, no matter what your family's religious background, had nothing wealthy or, or poverty-stricken or, or educated or high social class or low social class, doesn't matter. We were all born into a place of innocence. So that's the first of three places that everyone who has ever lived has lived in, the place of innocence. That's where we all begin. The Apostle Paul said, I was alive without the law once. And he's using himself as if to speak for the entire human race. That we were all alive once. There was a place, a time in our lives when we were spiritually alive. And that's when we were in the place of innocence. Jesus warned people, don't mess with the children. For of such is the kingdom of God. Don't mess with them. And he said their angels are always beholding the face of their father, which is in heaven. In other words, when they're small, when they're in this time, this place of innocence, they've got special protectors from God. And so they were, uh, we, we were all once in a place of innocence. We're coming up on the anniversary of, of the uh, horrible Sandy Hook shooting. And you all probably remember where you were that day. When you got the news that 10 minutes up the road was the, what turned out to be the worst school shooting uh, on American soil. And it's a sobering time every year as you, as you remember the events of that day. And some of you had uh, connections to people there and it's a heartbreaking thing. The wonderful thing about that day, if there's anything good about it at all, is that every one of those children was still living in innocence. And God does not hold them responsible for their sins. And so in that place of innocence, doesn't mean you don't do wrong. It means God, God does not hold you accountable for the wrong that you do. So there's three places that every human being lives in our lifetime. The first one is what we're born into. We're born into innocence. But then there comes a day when you begin to live in the place, number two, a place of sin. When does that happen? It happens, I believe, just like it happened for Adam and Eve. When you are facing an opportunity to consciously violate the laws of God. Now, you may not strictly know that they're the laws of God. You just know it's right and wrong. And you know that you are violating your conscience, you know you are, you are making a conscious choice to do wrong and you go ahead and choose to do it. Now, you don't necessarily know when that is and it's not the same for everybody. I happen to believe that it's older. I, I, don't, I certainly don't believe that it's at three years old or five years old. I'm not even sure that it's in our single digits. 
Listen, God who says so much about protecting the children, don't mess with the children, don't hurt a child, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to hurt one of God's little ones who believe in him. You're telling me that that God is going to hold a four-year-old accountable for their eternal soul? Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. We in America, you can't vote till you're 18. You can't drive till you're 16. You can't drink till you're, what is it, 21? I don't even know what that one is. Uh, you can't do, those are the, the, plate, the, the, the uh, barriers that we put on, the, on adulthood. And you're telling me God is going to hold a four-year-old accountable for their actions and send them to eternal hell when they're, I don't believe that. That's not consistent with what I read in the Bible. I do believe we need to get our children into salvation as early as we possibly can. But I do not believe that a, a, uh, a child reaches that age when they're three or four or five or six years old. Anyhow, there does come a day when we all begin to live in sin. You leave the place of being in innocence and you step into the place of being in sin. And if you never do anything about it, that's where you die. You die in sin. Now you may say, well, I never, you know, I never robbed a bank. Why well, is the first one we come up with? I never robbed a bank. I never killed anybody. And be honest with you, pastor, I'm, I'm living a pretty clean life now. <clears throat> yes, but if you are too old to be in innocence and you are not, have not chosen to be in the third group that I'll get to in a second, then you are living in sin because it's where we automatically go to. We automatically go from innocence to sin, every one of us, when we get old enough to when we come to that place where we make a conscious decision to violate the law of God written in our, in our heart. So, everyone who has ever lived has lived in one of three places, in innocence, and then when they get a little older, in sin. But we are all invited to live in a third place, and that is in Christ. We are all invited to live in Christ. And if you have come to the place where you've realized that you are in sin, but that Jesus took your sin upon himself and died for it and was buried and rose again and conquered death, and you said, I choose to turn from my position of being in sin and step into being in Christ, that's all it took. You were saved and now you're in Christ. And you will always be in Christ. Now, that's the phrase that I want to share with you this morning from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, 14. <clears throat> and if you think back, if you have a, a, you know, a great memory, you may say, Pastor, I remember sometime within the last few months that I, re I remember you preaching a message on in Christ. And you're right, I did. But the Spirit of God, as I looked at this, said, first of all, this is a different message altogether, and uh, you certainly did not exhaust the subject last time, and this is what I'm giving you, and I want you to share this. So we're going down a similar road today, but certainly not the same message. The safest place in the universe is in Christ. And I want you to look at this passage with me. I want to share you some things about being in Christ. And if you listen, I think you'll find it very encouraging and intriguing. First of all, being in Christ leads you 
To be faithful to Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Being in Christ leads you to be faithful to Christ. There was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune in the 1980s. He was, he's a man that I've talked about on our radio broadcast a number of times. Just about once a year I tell this man's story. But he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He was an atheist. His wife was an atheist. And uh, they were raising an atheist family and they had some very nice atheist dreams for their future. One day his wife did something that really messed up everything. She put her faith in Christ. And oh, it made him, he was the reporter, it made her husband so angry. He was furious. And uh, he thought he could convince her. He thought, man, you've become delusional. You're crazy. What is wrong with you? He even accused her of cheating on him with Jesus Christ. I mean, it was crazy, ridiculous. And she wanted, like anything, to have things go back the way they were in their marriage. But she knew that what she had discovered was real. She knew it was real. And so she couldn't go back. So her husband, a reporter for the Chicago, and by the way, an award-winning reporter for the Chicago Tribune, tremendous reporter, he decided that he was going to employ his skills. He also had some background in law, and he was going to employ his skills to debunk Christianity once and for all, just to rescue his wife. And he put years into this, and he traveled all over America finding experts. And what he found out, first of all, he came to the realization that if you could debunk the myth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything else would fall. And so he went after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the more he went after it, and listen, this is somebody who is trying to disprove it, trying to expose it to the world as a myth that has just been propped up by Christians. The deeper he went the more he realized that evidence was overwhelming for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He even, he failed so badly at proving that the resurrection was false that he started going after the crucifixion. Did he really die? And he found that the crucifixion, that the American Medical Association even has concluded that Jesus absolutely did die. Not just as a historical fact that he was nailed to a cross, but that he all the things that the records say about him, that he actually did die. So he just kept striking out and striking out. But what finally pushed him over the line is the change in his wife's life. He was... He was being horrible to her. He was getting angry. He was mistreating her. He was, and he was coming home drunk. He, just, he was changing for the worse because he was getting so mad that his atheist wife had, had decided to trust in Christ. But she just kept on loving him and loving him and loving him. She just kept being faithful to Christ. And he said, he said, all of the evidence that I've found that just seemed to overwhelmingly prove that all these things about Christ were true. None of them was greater than the evidence of my wife's life. 
And he finally broke down and put his faith in Jesus Christ. His name, and he's a very well-known Christian author. Now, this all happened in the early 1980s. His name is Lee Strobel. I have mentioned him on the radio a number of times. And Lee Strobel's life was transformed. I, I don't usually give homework in church. I'm going to give you some homework right now. And that is to go to iTunes, and it may be available other places, but I found it on iTunes. From iTunes, I rented the movie, The Case for Christ. It will help you. It will bless you. It will encourage you. The Case for Christ. I promise you, you will find it encouraging, edifying, and uh, I, that, that's your homework, all right? So have it done by next week. No, you can do it at your leisure. But uh, the case for Christ. Being in Christ leads you to be faithful for Christ. Being in Christ gives you access to all spiritual heavenly blessings. Look at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I like that. I don't know what all that entails, but... All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I I want in on that. Whatever that is, I want in on that. How do you get that? By being in Christ. Everybody who is in Christ has access to all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. (coughs) We went to a town this week, and and Brother Ray kept saying the name of this town. And he's a country boy from Louisiana, and I couldn't believe how easily this name flowed off of his lips because every time I tried to say... Uh, the, the name of the town, and after we went there, I finally started to get it, Oberammergau. But before I got there and saw it on all the buildings, just a little village, but before I got there, I kept calling it under overgarment. I could That's as close as I could come. But, but Brother Ray, with his, with his uh, Louisiana accent, kept saying... Oberammergau. Did I say that? Ober, Oberammergau. <laughs> what, what are you saying? Anyway, we were supposed to go there, I think, Tuesday, and it got so late in the day that we had to, we had to skip it, and I thought, well, I guess we're not going to under overgarment anyway. And, uh, but, but it was so important to him that on Wednesday morning, we still backtracked a little bit to go, I thought, what is so important about this place or this name, with this name that I can't say? Well, here's what was so awesome about it. In... The early 1600s, the bubonic plague had swept across Europe and which what they called the Black Death. Over 50 million people were killed because of it. And uh, the people of this town, this little village of Oberammergau, <laughs> I got to look, Oberammergau, they got together and they decided they didn't want their little village to be wiped out by the by the bubonic plague. See what they did? They got together and they prayed. And they told the Lord, Lord, if, if, you, will, if you will spare us this plague, then we will do something for you to impact the world for Jesus Christ. And you know what? A couple of people got the had already contracted the bubonic plague, and they recovered after after those prayer meetings, and the rest of the town was completely spared. So they said, "Well, what can we do to keep our promise?" And they came up with. How many of you ever heard of a passion play? You'll see it around Eastern time, Easter time, all over America. All kind of churches will put them on. They'll they'll be Broadway style plays, passion plays, and that's simply a play that shows. The, the last week of Jesus' life 
and his crucifixion and his, his burial and his resurrection. And I remember going to the, a passion play when I was a teenager. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if you remember this, Brother Steve. It was in Poughkeepsie. I, I, I think that it was. Um, I remember taking a church trip up to Poughkeepsie. And uh, here's what I remember about it. The Word of Life uh, uh, put it on. Uh, and uh, what I remember about that passion play, by the way, was that uh, it was so authentic the way that they seemed just clearly seemed to drive nails through Jesus' hands and feet. I'm sitting there in the audience going, I can't even look at it. That it just looked like they were really doing it. And he's clearly seemed to be hanging up there by, by nails. And then when they took him down, I, rem- I can still see them hitting the nails fr- uh, from the back to push them out. And the nail flew out and the hand dropped. And I still, for the life of me, have not been able to figure out how they did that. But I clearly remember that was the first time not only going to a passion play, but hearing about one. I don't ever remember hearing that there was such a thing before that. But it's a very common thing. A, a play-style depiction of the last week of Jesus' life and his crucifixion and his resurrection. Well, you know, the birthplace of the passion play is Oberammergau. That was their gift to God to thank him for sparing them of the black plague. And they had the, the, the uh, first passion play there, and they decided to have one every year, every, I'm sorry, every 10 years, and it could only be put on by people from that town. The only actors that, that could be in it could be people from their town. And if you go there, you see the life of Christ everywhere. There's murals on side of buildings there's carvings of his birth, of his life. It's, it's unbelievable. The town is just overwhelmingly about the life of Jesus Christ. And still, to this day, every 10 years, there's a huge, I mean, a huge theater that is just for the presentation of the Passion Play every 10 years. It's like the center of town, Ober Ammergau. And a town that found out that when you seek the Lord, With all your heart, God does great things. Being in Christ gives you access to all spiritual heavenly blessings. Being in Christ is what makes you God's chosen. Look at verse 4. It says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So, So you were chosen before the foundation of the world, but on what basis? He hath chosen us in him, in Christ. So before the foundation of the world, God chose that everyone who would be in Christ would be his own. So it's hard to figure out how you say, well, okay, it says that he chose me, but, but I remember the day that I chose him. It's hard to, to put those two things together, but it says right there that he chose all those who would choose to be in him. Now, that's, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but that is what it says right there. He chose for his own everyone who would choose to be in Christ. So on the basis of being in Christ, you were chosen. It made you God's chosen. Not only that, being in Christ gives you redemption and forgiveness. Look at verse 7. In whom we have, in whom, that's Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, <clears throat> according to the riches of his grace. Now, I'm going to make this a short story here. And I know the names and the places, but I can't use them because 
The man I'm going to tell you about is still an active missionary in a very Muslim country. In a Muslim country that if you are identified as a Christian missionary, you will be killed. And he's there right now. And so I know his name. I've got his name written in front of me, but I will not use his name because we do have a podcast that actually our podcast is listened to in four or five different countries. And uh, so I'm not going to put him at risk, but this is a true story I'm going to tell you right now. This man was a missionary in a non-Muslim country at the time. And quite frankly, he was not having a whole lot of success. Don't miss this. This is incredible. So he picked this one particular apartment complex and he's knocking doors and knocking doors and door after door after door in a non-Muslim country, door after door, Muslim people are coming to the door and very curtly saying, no thank you, and closing the door. No thank you, closing the door. He came to the very last door of that apartment complex and, and said to his partner, all right, we knocked this door We're going to call it quits. That's it for today. They knocked the door. The guy opened the door. He saw that they were Americans, and he grabbed his arm and said, Come in, come in. Told him to sit down. And then disappeared for 10 minutes. And the missionary's partner sitting there going, What? You know. 10 minutes later, the guy comes back with uh, coffee, tea for them, and smiling. Oh, you know, oh, trying to communicate. And uh, so glad you're here. And then he he says, wait, I come back. And he disappears again for 10 minutes. And this time he comes back with a small meal. I mean, real, real significant snacks. And he puts it before them and they're going, what in the world? And he says, I am from, and he names the Muslim country that he's from. I am from this country. And I just come here to this country. And before I leave, I say to my friend, What is the meaning of life? How do you get to heaven? And his friend took out a piece of paper and he wrote down a name. He said, when you get to to this country that you're going to, if you can find an American, ask him to tell you where this man is. And so he put the paper in his pocket. So they're sitting there in the apartment and they're drinking coffee and they're, they're eating the, the food that he's prepared. And he's telling him this story and he pulls out the paper and he says to the missionary, he says, you are an American. Can you tell me where to find this man? And the missionary's name was on the paper. The missionary led the man to Christ. And baptized him, the Muslim man. Turns out that everybody in the building had been so rude to the missionary because this man was sort of the ringleader and they didn't do anything without his permission. When they found out that he listened to the missionary and got saved, they listened to the missionary and got saved. Before it was all done, over 1,500 people were saved and baptized by that missionary. And now that missionary has gone to actually gone to a Muslim country where he's winning people to Christ and serving the Lord. But people who are looking for redemption and forgiveness, and they find it where? In Christ. Oh, they were born in innocence, but now they're in sin. Listen, 
Forget about race, forget about religion, forget about background. Everybody who is not in Christ is in sin. And whether they realize it or not, they want to be in Christ. Not only that, look at this in verse number 10. We're we're closing in on the end here. Verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things. Where? In Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in Christ. The fullness of times gathered together in one. So in other words, God's going to take, there's going to come a time when God's going to take everything that matters to him and bring it all together and everything else is going to be cast away. What is it that matters to God? Everything that is in Christ. So if you want to be a part of that which matters forever, being in Christ makes you a part of what matters for eternity. Listen to this. You're not going to believe this story either, but we know the girl. There was a teenage girl, grew up in New York City, and uh, she would gotten sort of used to, this was the late 90s, 1990s, she would gotten sort of used to people you know, hand her papers about God. And sometimes she would just flat out refuse it. Sometimes she'd take it and say, okay, thank you, shove it in her pocket or throw it away when she got the chance. We call them gospel tracts. She called them papers about God. And finally, one day in early 2001, I believe it was, someone gave her a paper and they could tell. I mean, you pass enough tracks out, you know when somebody's going to Take it, and as soon as you're gone, drop it on the ground or throw it in the trash. And this lady could tell. She's, go- she's not, she's not going to read it. So the lady stopped, and she said, look at me, please. And the girl looked at her. She goes, promise me that you will read this. And the girl said, I'll read it. She said, no, prom- do you promise that you will stop and read this? And the girl said, okay, I promise. And she said, I meant it. But she said, I didn't say when. So she went home. She struck, stuck it in a drawer, intending to keep her promise someday. And then September 11 happened, and she was right in the middle of all of it. I believe she went to college somewhere in the neighborhood, if I'm not mistaken, maybe high school. And I mean, she was, she was right in the middle. She was covered with the, with the dust, the, the soot and everything. And just like everyone involved in 9-11, she was just absolutely overwhelmed. And while she's walking down the street covered in these ashes, just as if you've seen, you've seen on video time and time again in 9-11, you know what was on her mind? That paper in the drawer. That paper that she shoved in the drawer and the promise that she'd made to that lady. And when the day was over and she got home as, as, as soon as she could, she went straight to that drawer and she opened it up and she read the track and she put her faith in Christ. She stepped out of being in sin. She put her faith in Christ. Well, she looked at the end and it said, if you read this and you put your faith in Christ, we invite you to contact International Baptist Church in Brooklyn. And so she did. She went to International Baptist Church she attended there for some time. 
And she said, I want more of this. I want more of this. And they said, well, uh, some people from our, from our uh, church that, that want to do more for the Lord, they go to a place in Indiana called Hiles Anderson College. And so she, uh, she went away to Hiles Anderson College. She graduated from Hiles Anderson College, and she became a missionary to China and served a term uh, on, a, on the, uh, the FBMI China team that we have supported. And uh, then she... Found, she met a Christian man, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the military. She married him, and now they're serving the Lord together. What took her from being in sin to being in Christ? Part of it was she wanted to be a part of what mattered for eternity. When she was faced with eternity, that's what flipped the switch and said, now I, I see what matters. Being in Christ makes you a part of what matters for eternity. Very quickly, and I'll, I'll finish. Being in Christ gives you an eternal inheritance. Look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Being in Christ causes God to seal you with his Holy Ghost. Look at verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. You know what that means? The earnest there means that the Holy Spirit of God is God's down payment on heaven. So how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Because you see the Holy, something's different inside of you. That something that's different is the Holy Spirit. And when you see the Holy Spirit working, that is God's down payment that you have eternal life. Let's end it all right here. Being in Christ. I'm sorry. You begin to be in Christ when you put your trust in Christ. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Say, Pastor, it all sounds so complicated. Well, I'm sorry that it does because i got to tell you, there's nothing in this world that's more simple than stepping from being in sin to being in Christ. It's as simple as this. If you know that you're in sin and you know Jesus died for your sin, and you're willing to step into Christ by faith, Lord, I, I know I've sinned against you, but I believe Jesus died for me. I take Jesus as my Savior. I, I remember being a kid and thinking about that. I take Jesus as my Savior. What exactly does that mean? I'll tell you what exactly it means. It means you're stepping into Christ. That's it. You are making the conscious decision to step out of sin and into Christ. So where are you this morning? Probably you're not in innocence. If you're old enough to be in this room and to understand everything I've said, you're not in innocence anymore. If you've not made the decision to be in Christ, then there's only one place left. You're in sin. But every one of you this morning is invited to be in Christ. Now, it may be that everyone in this room is already in Christ. Oh, I hope that's the truth. And if it is, there's all those things. And so, I mean, study your New Testament sometime and just see how many things God says are yours because you're in Christ. It's overwhelming. 
It's awesome. But if you're not in Christ, I urge you to step over that line today. I urge you to acknowledge that, yes, if God says I'm in sin, I'm in sin. Nothing I'm going to do to change that except to accept his invitation and step over and be in Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that you would cause everyone.